Let's face it, in our busy lives, we don't eat enough fruits and vegetables. In fact, according to the CDC, only 1 in 10 Americans are eating the recommended daily amount of fruits and vegetables each day, missing out on essential vitamins, minerals, fibers, and antioxidants. And that's where Balance in Nature comes in. Balance in Nature sources only the best produce, free from pesticides, heavy metals, and harmful bacteria. And Balance in Nature is the best fruit and vegetable product on the market. They use only fresh whole fruits and vegetables inside each capsule. They don't use any GMOs, fillers, binding agents, or preservatives of any kind. You're getting real food, real science, real nutrition. I would never endorse a product that I don't use myself, and since using Balance in Nature, I feel more alert, I have more energy, my focus is sharper, and I feel great. Live life to the fullest and choose Balance in Nature. And guess what? PAS Report listeners can get 35% off the first preferred order. Start getting the recommended daily amount of fruits and vegetables you need by using code PAS at balanceofnature.com. Welcome to the PAS Report Weekly Roundup Podcast. The PAS Report provides an honest analysis on the critical issues that matter to you without the biased media filters. Here's your host, Professor Nicholas Giordano. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the PAS Report Podcast. This is your host, Nick Giordano. Glad you could be here. Hope you enjoyed your weekend. And this administration... Complete and utter disaster. No other way to put it. Can't sugarcoat it. They are so out of touch with the struggles of ordinary people and what they're going through. We're facing the highest levels of inflation that we faced in over 30 years. Americans are paying more for everything. Gas, food, everything you could possibly think of. And what's the administration's response? Well, it's to deal with it. That inflation is a good thing. It's your fault because you're buying too much stuff. You name it, and they're trying to deflect blame any which way they can. And there are many in this administration who are happy with the rising prices, especially when it comes to gas prices. See, they want to artificially manipulate things. And you have a dangerous combination right now, a combination of ineptness and those who want the American people to struggle. The incompetent officials are just that. They're incompetent. But the more nefarious ones have other motives. And they want to change our way of life. They want to force outcomes. They want to artificially manipulate the economy to change consumer behavior and to achieve policy goals. Whether it's moving people away from gas-powered vehicles or introducing a universal income, understand that they have a clear agenda to make people more dependent on the government apparatus. It really is disgusting. And I'm going to be doing an episode on this soon. For today, I have former speaker Newt Gingrich coming on. He just wrote a new book, Beyond Biden, Rebuilding the America We Love. And I want to get his thoughts on everything that's happening. I want to talk to him about the recent elections. I want to ask him on what the Republicans need to do in order to return the country to some semblance of normalcy. I want to ask him whether Republicans should issue a new contract with America. The Congress he ran, he ran the last Congress to actually have a balanced budget that was actually fiscally responsible, that did things for the betterment of America and the people of America. Now we have a Congress that wants to push a far-left Marxist agenda, so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Before I bring in the former speaker, make sure you visit PASReport.com, sign up for the newsletter, follow the podcast so you never miss an episode, and share this episode with your family and friends. Now I want to welcome the former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, author of the brand new book, Beyond Biden, Rebuilding the America We Love, Speaker Gingrich, such a pleasure to have you here. How are you today? I'm doing well, and um, it's been an amazing week. 
just watching all the different things happen around the country in the elections. It has been fascinating. And I think that your book is coming out at such an important time because your book focuses on this real anti-Americanism that we're seeing within our society that's being pushed by the far left. So just to piggyback off the elections, what does the elections tell you? Well, I think the American people are fed up with both incompetence and radical ideas. I think it's a combination of the two. So they look at schools that aren't succeeding. Uh, they look at an effort to dumb down the curriculum rather than rather than get the students to learn up to a good curriculum. Uh, there's a huge movement underway to just dumb the curriculum down. Uh, they look at big government that isn't functioning. Uh, they go out. You know, I think every person who goes out and fills up their, their car with gas gets pissed off. They think government's not getting the job done. And then you've got dramatically rising murder rates in the big cities. And you've got... Uh, a border that's clearly out of control, and you've got all these warnings about the logistics system being so broken you may not be able to get your Christmas gifts. I think there's a general sense uh, the easy way to frame it is it ain't working. And so they went to the polls. You know, the, the, the clearest, most vivid example is Ed Doerr in New Jersey, who ran against the president of the uh, state senate, who was one of the most powerful political figures in New Jersey, considered a future governor. Had, had survived four years ago in the most expensive legislative race in America, $17 million. And uh, <clears throat> what happened to Durr was he apparently he applied for a concealed carry permit, got turned down even though he had nothing in his record of any kind. And he got really angry that government could control his life like that. So he went out, began going door to door, spent $2,300. Remember, this is a race that four years ago was $17 million. Durr spends $2,300 and uh, has, has beaten uh, the incumbent president of the state Senate. Now, that tells me the people in that district were really angry. Uh, New Jersey is the highest tax state in the country, has the highest cost of living in the country. Thousands of people had died. It was the third number leading place for people to die from COVID. Murphy followed the same uh, pattern as Cuomo, and they both uh, unnecessarily killed people by putting them in nursing homes that weren't prepared. So you look at all that, and then you go across the country. I mean, in San Antonio, we won a Latino district, 70% Hispanic. Uh, we won it in the state legislative special election. Maybe the second biggest surprise after Ed Durr was uh, Ann Davison, who became the Republican city attorney for Seattle. Now, if I tell you we're winning in Seattle, you know <laughs> something big is going on. And she was running against a woman who's hard left, who, who said openly she hates the police and who uh, said openly she wasn't going to prosecute people. It was a straight-up fight. Do you, do you favor the innocent or the criminal? And do you uh, want to get criminals off the street or do you want to let them stay on the street? And do you think cops may be necessary for you to be physically safe? And that the people of Seattle answered that pretty decisively. So uh, it's fascinating to me, everywhere you turn in the country, <clears throat> if they had elections this Tuesday, uh, they went against the left, uh, and they were in favor of very profound change. They certainly were. And when we look at it, I think education is one of the biggest subjects, the biggest topics out there. People are fed up with what's going on in the education system. I've been teaching at the college level for 15 years. I give my students the citizenship exam. 99% of them fail it. I then give them the Russian constitution, and most of them don't realize that they're not reading the American constitution. They're, in fact, reading the Russian constitution. How do we get children to appreciate this country if they're not being taught it? 
Well, first of all, we got to overhaul the schools. I mean, I think the, the big lesson of Glenn Youngkin's victory in, in Virginia was that by the time they got done with their debating over whether or not parents had a role in education, education had become the number one issue in the election. It, it, it beat out the economy, which, you know, you very seldom see an election where education is that central. In, uh, in town after town, Lancaster, Pennsylvania is an example, the people who represented the left-wing woke views lost the, the uh, school board race, and that was happening all over the country. So I think you're going to see a, a continued pressure to get back. Uh, first of all, as, as Youngkin has said, uh, as governor, one of his major goals is going to be to get people able to read, write, and do math by the end of the third grade. Well, that used to be a goal 25 years ago, and it got replaced with sort of a touchy-feely, sympathetic, you know, let, let's all let's imagine what your gender is kind of uh, approach. And so this is this is a profound shift back. I mean, the other thing that's happening with education, of course, is between homeschooling and school choice, uh, you have a very substantial number of people now who have just left the government schools and decided that uh, bureaucratic government schools don't work. And uh, so there has been a real commitment. And when parents are involved in their children's education, it almost invariably goes better. As it should. And in your book, Beyond Biden, you talk about how the forces that are left, they're extremely well financed, they're well organized, they're entrenched within the system. How do we root them out of the system? I'm not talking about the elected officials. The elected officials, we could vote them out. But what about the the bureaucratic officials, the ones that we can't vote out? Look, well, we're going to we do vote on them indirectly and we're going to have to elect a generation of leaders who are prepared to profoundly modernize the system. I mean, these are old industrial era bureaucracies. They don't work very well. The Pentagon, for example, ought to be reduced to a triangle. You still have 31,000 people, but now they have laptops and smartphones and iPads. What's the exchange rate between typing on carbon paper and typing on a computer and being able to send it instantaneously around the system? Uh, There's no excuse for having a government bureaucracy that is as big and complex as the the Pentagon is. It means we we waste an immense amount of money, and we now innovate slower than China, and it's a real national security threat. So I think you just have to decide to go through bureaucracy by by bureaucracy. Uh, You know, when the California unemployment compensation system uh, lost $32 billion, not million, $32 billion. It's crazy. Uh, mostly, mostly to criminals in the California prisons who were using the prison computers to go out with identity theft and steal people's identity and apply for unemployment compensation. Now, the fact that nobody's been fired, there hasn't been a giant scandal. Uh, we just sort of shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's weird. Uh, and, and you're enriching the criminal class to the tune of $32 billion just from California alone. Uh, these are the kind of things that ought to be changed. You know, when I was speaker... We were able to work with President Clinton on a bipartisan basis, and we actually uh, balanced the budget for the only only time in your lifetime. We had four consecutive balanced budgets. We ought to go back to that. We ought to insist on balancing the budget, and we we ought to make it a major part of what we're doing. And that will flush out an amazing amount of the bureaucracy that you're talking about. It's because of what you did in the 1990s that's actually turned me on to politics. I was 14 years old when you became Speaker of the House. And not only did you balance the budget, you were also able to push the largest welfare reform we've seen since welfare has been instituted. Do you think America, uh, the Republican Party now needs a new updated contract with America? Yeah, I think we do. And part of the reason that I wrote 
beyond Biden was to lay out a positive agenda for the Republican Party and for and for moderate Democrats. Uh, the, the, you know, my, my focus is not just narrowly partisan. I, I think we have an enormous existential threat from communist China. I think if we don't get our act together and modernize our systems, that at some point we're going to lose. Uh, and we're then going to be living in the shadow of Chinese dictation. Uh, and I think that's the future I don't want to give my grandchildren. So I, I'm, I'm very much committed to having a positive agenda. I think the two things we have to do coming out of this election, and my, I do a newsletter at Gingrich 360, which is free. I also do uh, three podcasts a week that are free at Gingrich 360. And in my latest newsletter, I outline lessons Republicans should learn from this election. And one of them, I think, is we need to have a positive agenda. I mean, Glenn Youngkin did a great job of laying out a positive agenda, lower taxes, more jobs, uh, real focus on stopping crime and supporting the police, uh, real choice for, for parents uh, and, and education. I mean, it, it was really, you know, his campaign was had many, many positive features. And then he had the courage to follow the Margaret Thatcher rule that first you win the argument and then you win the vote. And he was quite prepared to argue with McAuliffe in a way that I think shocked people. I mean, it turned out that, that Youngkin was better at this stuff, even though he'd never run for office before, than McAuliffe, who'd been active for some 40 years as a, as a practicing politician. Yeah. And another thing I noticed that he did was he actually went into Democrat areas and brought the argument to Democrats to win over the moderate Democrats that maybe feel abandoned by their own political party. The Republican Party for the last several years seems to have forgotten that you need to go into communities if you want to win them over. So this can certainly be a roadmap. Now, I supported your presidency, your presidential candidacy in 2012. And I think that you had one of the most interesting ideas of getting kids to have a stake in their communities. If they're at school, help the custodians to clean the schools in the community, help the community to clean up their streets. I think it's innovation that Republicans like that need. Do you see the Republicans moving in that direction? Yeah, I have a lot of conversations. And part of the reason I wrote uh, Beyond Biden is that I knew there was there was a real eagerness for people developing new ideas. I recently went up to Capitol Hill and talked to the Conservative Opportunity Society, which I actually helped found 38 years ago. Uh, and uh, we uh, we had about 20 members present. Then I went over to the Republican Study Committee, which is the largest conservative group in the Hill. And we had about 60 members present and both places. There was a very positive reception to what we're talking about. And we laid out the case about uh, big government socialism and the fact that only about one out of every six Americans favors big government socialism. So the Democrats have walked way out on a limb, frankly, uh, I think are in real danger of uh, just being totally out of touch with the American people. Well, I hope they keep going. Well, I was going to say, from everything I've seen so far, they they are sure not listening to the results from last Tuesday. I mean, they're... You know, Pelosi did this back in uh, 2009 when they lost uh, Virginia and they lost uh, New Jersey. And four days later, she rammed through uh, Obamacare, saying uh, laughingly, you have to vote for it to find out what's in it. Well, she's back doing the same stuff. Uh, Three days after they lost uh, in Virginia, lost uh, legislative seats in uh, New Jersey and almost lost the governorship. And she she hasn't learned anything. Uh, And I think I think they're going to lose between 40 and 70 seats. You know, that's how bad I think it's going to be. Well, and I think it's even more bizarre than that, because if you're watching the media coverage, they're actually attacking all the people that voted for 
Youngkin. And it wasn't just Republicans that voted for him. So are Democrats on a path of destruction where they're going to alienate even further their own members of their own political party, particularly the moderate wing? Oh, I think so. I, I did a radio show in New York with former Democratic Governor David Patterson, and he was uh, just vehemently opposed to the socialists in his own party and then saying flunt, bluntly that they now dominate the party. I just did a podcast. We taped it. It'll come out this weekend with uh, former Democratic Senator Joe Lieberman, and he was talking about the degree to which the socialists have now taken over the Democratic Party. And I think that there's a there's a real sense out there that, uh, in a way, you've seen the traditional, regular, moderate, liberal Democrats just get crowded out, beaten up. I mean, you, you, you saw the, uh, the, the left-wing radicals who surrounded uh, Senator Manchin's car absolutely uh, refused to, to let him. I mean, he had to very, very slowly drive out because there, there was a real danger that, that one of them would get hit. And uh, you, you also saw the, the activists who followed Senator Sinema into the ladies' room. I mean, that's a level of pressure and aggressiveness that's really unprecedented in modern America. Yeah, it certainly is. But it basically, President Biden has given an endorsement to these types of tactics when he said, oh, it's just he wouldn't advise it, but it's just politics. And this happens to everyone that doesn't have Secret Service. As far as President Biden goes, uh, are you concerned about his overall mental health? I mean, it's clear on everyone that watches him, what's going on, yet nobody wants to talk about it publicly. Well, I think, you know, I've known Joe Biden for, I guess, since I came to Congress in 1978. Uh, he was never very smart. He, he was He's a good politician from a very small state where he didn't have much competition. But it seems to me like he's lost several steps and that it really wasn't that obvious during the campaign. They did a brilliant job of keeping him in the basement. But though when you watch him, like on the CNN town hall meeting, you just cringe. Uh, or if you watch him falling asleep at the Global Climate Summit, you know, you feel bad for America that its leader is sitting out there sleeping in front of the entire world. Although I have to confess, anybody who's ever tried to sit through one of those <laughs> global climate speeches, it's, it's hard to stay awake. So I'm a little sympathetic for that one. But but just in general, you, 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 you watch him and you don't have the sense. In fact, they keep walking things back. He, he said you know, off the cuff, no, we're not ever going to give $450,000 per illegal immigrant. And a few hours later, his staff had to come out and say, well, that's, you know, that's not quite right. We're really seriously considering it. And there have been three or four cases recently where Biden will say one thing, and three or four hours later, at one point he said, for example, clearly we would defend Taiwan. Well, then a matter of hours, they came out and said, well, that, that's really kind of an overstatement. Well, which is it? And you know, he is the president. Uh, and, and you just see this happening over and over again. And it's concerning. And one of my biggest concerns, and this has been a concern for a long time. So when you were Speaker of the House, you're, you're one of the few Congresses that was actually able to rein in the power of the presidency, that it actually exerted the legislature's power. Since the coronavirus began, and even before then, we, we've seen a lot of decisions from the legislative branch being deferred to the executive branch to rule by executive decree, not just at the federal level, but also at the state and local levels. Are, are you concerned that legislative branches have been all too willing to give up their power to the executives and that we've had this massive push towards authoritarianism? No, absolutely. I, you know, we have a copy of the Magna Carta from 1215 in the uh, U.S. Capitol, in the Rotunda, 
uh, and it's there, Margaret Thatcher brought it over, to remind us that we've been now on an 800-year journey of power leaving the king and going to the people. And the, the, the center of freedom in America is the U.S. Capitol, not the White House. The White House is an elected kingship and has centralized its power and has no natural balance to it. Uh, the, 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 the Capitol has 100 senators, 435 House members, all of them elected freely by the people of their state or their district, and it's actually the center of freedom on the planet. And when it starts to give up power to the White House, you're, you're seeing a transfer from the people back to the equivalent of an elected king. And I think that's very dangerous. You go out to some of these states, it's insane how much power these governors claim, whether it's California or Michigan, uh, New York. I mean, I mean, it really is a violation of the whole concept of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Yeah, and I, I just worry that state legislative bodies are making themselves irrelevant almost when it comes to all these decrees that we're seeing and what the executives have done. Do you think that it's something that's a natural part, a natural evolution of democracy? Or do you think the founding fathers set up this country in a way where there's always course corrections that take place? And what we saw on Tuesday was the beginning of that course correction. Well, I, I think that that's what the founding fathers hoped, was that, you know, they feared power. Uh, they'd watched the British monarchy exert power. They'd watched the British monarchy subvert judges so they became instruments of the state, not instruments of justice. Uh, they watched the British Army being actually uh, quartered in people's homes against their will. Um, and so they, they they had a real concern. They wrote the Constitution to limit the government, not to strengthen the government. They wrote the Bill of Rights to strengthen the individual citizen, not to, uh, to limit the government. Uh, and I think they had a, the best of the founding fathers were deeply steeped in Greek history, Roman history, uh, the history of, of uh, Jerusalem and both Judaism and Christianity. And so they brought an amazing level of historic knowledge to writing the Constitution and to uh, the first uh, 10 or 15 years in, in uh, of government under Washington and then Adams and Jefferson. And I think they would all have said that what we're seeing right now is a fundamental violation of the Constitution, that, that uh, you know, no, no law abridging the right of assembly or abridging free speech or abridging uh, the right to worship. Well, that's stuff that you have the whole way in which the secular left used COVID as the excuse to impose a level of control over people that was very, very un-American. It certainly was. And one of the main things that came out of COVID was this concern that the Democrats are changing the election process throughout the country pushing through the idea of unlimited mail-in balloting, just send them to every registered voter and let other people be able to pick up these ballots. How do we get a handle on the election process? Americans need to have faith in the electoral system. And how do, I mean, we're talking four months before a presidential election, we change the entire way we vote, yet government can't even fix a pothole. And we're supposed to pretend that there's not going to be any problems or issues with the way we vote in 2020. How do we prevent that going forward? Well, I think there, there are three good signs right now. One, in about 26 states where Republicans have a majority, they've actually been passing election reforms. They're going to have better accounted for, more accurate, more transparent elections in about half the country. Two, the effort by the left to pass what I call the Corrupt Politicians Act seems to have stalled and is, is, is failing. There's, they can't get it through the Senate. And three, uh, in New York State, three of these ideas that make the election easier to steal were put on the ballot, all three, every single one of them, 
was defeated with 63% voting no. And I thought it was an amazing repudiation. And I'm very curious to see how Senator Schumer responds to it. Well, it was great. Proposition uh, 1, 3, and 4 were devastated. It was so happy to see, because I'm in this cesspool of New York. And it's gotten too extreme. And you know how big big a challenge it is. But but I mean, I think that Schumer might end up in trouble. He went... You know, he went up to Buffalo and endorsed the socialists who had won the primary and who then got beat on a write-in vote by everybody else in, in, in Buffalo coming together and saying, no, we don't want a socialist. Uh, and so, uh, you know, but I thought Schumer endorsing her was a sign of how frightened he is of AOC. And the further to the left Schumer goes, I mean, he's going to face potentially the kind of challenge we've seen now in Virginia and New Jersey. Uh, and it could be a, a really educational experience. And it, I would love to see him challenged, that's for sure. Now, beyond Biden, last question, because I know you're busy. And beyond Biden, you strike a very optimistic tone. And that's different from a lot of the other books that we see that are coming out. Why did you feel it was essential to strike that optimistic tone, hopeful about America's future? Well, I mean, first, first of all, I think that, that Biden is going to basically destroy himself. So and I didn't want to write an anti-Biden book. But second... We, we have enormous challenges that we can rise and meet. We're 330 million free people. We're the most productive society in history. We generate entrepreneurs on an amazing scale. I mean, if you just, just look at the impact of, of uh, what's happened with Tesla and with SpaceX and the likelihood that the, the, the first people that get to Mars are going to be entrepreneurs. They're not going to be government programs, and they're probably not going to be Chinese. Uh, That's a tribute to the way the American system historically worked. I am convinced that once we, you know, clean up some of the mess that the left's going to leave behind, we'll go back to being the most productive, most dynamic country in the world. And and notice, by the way, while we worry about trying to build a fence to keep people out, countries like Russia and China worry about keeping people in. And there's no big line trying to migrate into China. Uh, And I think it's a tribute to how good, despite everything people on the left say, this is the most desirable country in the world with the greatest opportunity to talent. Uh, and I think that should make us all feel optimistic that America can get the job done. And there's no doubt about it. The American people are good, honest, decent people. And how they're being vilified by the far left is absolutely disgusting. Mr. Speaker, we're going to have links up to Gingrich 360 and beyond Biden on the PAS report, PASreport.com. I really appreciate Thanks. you taking the time out to come speak. Well, thank you. It was great talking to you. Having the chance to discuss the issues with the former speaker was a real great opportunity, and I enjoyed picking his brain. He is someone who is creative. He understands American history. I mean, how many books has he authored? And he knows what it takes to win. So be sure to check out his new book, Beyond Biden, Rebuilding the America We Love. Go visit Gingrich360.com. I'm going to have the links up at the PAS report, so check it out. On Wednesday, I got a great episode lined up for you. It's an episode that you don't want to miss. I'm going to talk about some really important topics. Also, if you're listening on an Apple device, don't forget to give the PAS Report a five-star rating. Take 30 seconds to write a review and share this episode with family and friends. I want to thank you for joining me, and I want you to stay safe. Thank you for listening to the PAS Report Weekly Roundup Podcast. Podcast. Have a good one. Bye. Be sure to rate, share, and subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also, visit PASReport.com and follow us on Twitter at PASReport.